The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to this Friday edition of Scorebox. These are your headlines. Investors are diving deeper into tech shares, sending the Nasdaq to another all-time high. Uh, this while a lot of other markets in the red, including the Dow and the S&P, in what was a volatile session. Chinese stocks also down for the first time this week as US sanctions its highest-ranking Chinese officials yet, whilst banks are reportedly re- preparing for fresh restrictions from the US over Hong Kong. Over 2.6 million Singaporeans head to the polls in a general election overshadowed by the virus impact, which looks set to put the city-state into a historic recession. And we have a winner. Ireland's Pascal Donoghue is uh, chosen as the next Eurogroup president and says his first priority is to secure Europe's recovery fund and bring back jobs. Uh, quite extraordinary. Once again, the Nasdaq rallying, rallying hard. The Nasdaq 100 rallying, consumer discretionary rallying. But that aside, a uh, big disparity uh, in the rest of the market as well. I mean, yesterday, what do we have? We had, okay, how about this? Just in one session, you've got a 5% difference in the performance of consumer discretionary uh, compared with energy. Energy down 4.9%, incidentally down 45% week to date. No bullions in that market, is there? No uh, excitement about the recovery in a 45% down over a fifth from a 52-week high market there. But energy was down 4.9%, consumer discretionary, of which Amazon, as you well know, is, a, is the, the flag bearer of that sector, up 0.8 of 1%. Uh, let's have a look at the week-to-date performance on these US markets as well. So we can just have a look uh, at the overall performance of the Dow has actually had a very tempered week, uh, down a half of 1% after yesterday's session. The S&P uh, moving up 0.7. But look at that. So you've got a best part of 4% uh, percent disparity between the performance of the Nasdaq uh, and the Dow as well. Should we have a look at technology stocks, see how it performed yesterday? Again, Alphabet moving 1% higher. Look at that. We were lauding 3000 bucks a couple of days ago. Well, those were long were. Anyway, I'm not long, Amazon. Uh, 31.82 uh, is where it closed yesterday, up another 3.3%. People can't get out of this mindset that there are certain secular stocks, certain secular stories that they must own and the rest of the market forget it. When? And I said this to, um, to JP Morgan earlier in the week. He said, when is there value in value stocks? He said, yeah, there is value in value stocks. I'm just thinking, but no one seems to be buying value. Uh, and they're buying the same old tech names time and time again. Is anyone else worried about that herding out there into one sector? No? Okay, right, we'll carry on then. US tech, the week today. Let's have a look at that and the performance of these stocks as well. What have we got? We've got 9% on NVIDIA. We've got 10% to the upside uh, on Amazon. We've got Twitter up 15.7% and elsewhere. So you can still see those names. And if you're listening rather than watching, I better name a few of them. Then Netflix up 6.5%, Apple up 5.1% on the week as well. Very interesting moves and differences on some of these sectors. In fact, I'll just do you one more before we have a look. I mean, Asia's there for you. Uh, Energy compared with tech this year. What do you think the outperformance? I've given you hints. I mean, you kind of know the numbers we're talking about, but it's a big number. So if you owned energy and you were short tech, or if you were long tech and short energy, what do you think the difference is year to date? It's quite big. 
Yeah, yeah, I think you kind of know this one. 60%. 60% difference if you had a long short the wrong way. Or if you had a long short the right way. Congratulations, you nailed it. Right, let's have a look at these Asian markets then. What have we got? As we said in the headlines, the Shanghai Composite losing a percent. We'll come to Sam in this in a few moments' time. Uh, the Hang Seng down 1.7%. Same kind of story, really. Nikkei moving in lockstep as well, down seven tenths of 1%. Uh, and the ASX 200 down four tenths. Do we have a look at the week today? I presume we're still in the green for the Chinese markets and heavily as well. Shanghai Composite has put on 8.3%. The ASX 200 has lost 2%. And again, we were talking uh, with Will Kaluris about this earlier in the week as well. Interesting outperformance that the ASX 200 falling while the Chinese markets are rallying as well. Not always the case as well. But Sam, let's get to Sam Vadas who joins us now. Sam, you've been looking at all these markets and specifically uh, the banking reaction to potential US moves going forward. Very nice to see you today, by the way. Yeah, good morning to you, Steve. Well, that rally hit pause this morning with both the major indices are opening lower. We have seen a bit of a choppy session this morning. As you mentioned, we're looking pretty mixed at the lunch break. And that came after Chinese state media actually warned traders uh, to respect the market, manage risks and pursue rational investments. And that came uh, just days after the same publication said that China needed a bull market to build strength, which was widely seen as giving the market some official uh, endorsement there. But this uh, bull run this week, has certainly prompted uh, many to uh, draw comparisons to 2015's boom and bust, particularly as China's economy and the financial system has been under significant pressure because of the impacts of the coronavirus and US-China tensions. And so Chinese state media has urged investors to be prudent. Chinese authorities have also published a list of more than 250 illegal margin lending platforms, as well as their operators, a further sign of trying to calm the market, perhaps. So I want to draw your attention, as you mentioned, to some China banking Stocks. These are big Chinese banks after a report uh, said that China's banks are making contingency plans in anticipation uh, for U.S. legislation, which could see uh, lenders slapped with sanctions if they're found to be doing business with Chinese officials who are in violation of Hong Kong's high degree of autonomy. So if you've got them up there, we are looking red across the board. Reuters sources say the Bank of China and ICBC are planning contingencies in the event that they are cut off uh, from U.S. dollar access the report suggesting that they are preparing for the worst. Now, of course, uh, the U.S. Senate and the House has unanimously backed this bill. It ne now needs U.S. President Donald Trump's signature to become law. Uh, but speaking of punishment, uh, the U.S. has also slapped sanctions on four Chinese officials in connection uh, with serious human rights abuses uh, against Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang. Now, these sanctions are significant because they are imposed under an act uh, that allows the U.S. government to actually target uh, those found in violation of human rights abuses to freeze their U.S. assets, ban them from actually entering the United States and bar Americans um, from actually doing business with them. So Treasury Secretary uh, Steven Mnuchin has said that uh, you, the U.S. is committed uh, to using the full breadth of its financial powers to hold human rights abusers accountable. So it's a very strong language there. And it certainly marks a significant escalation uh, in Washington's response to this issue in Xinjiang and uh, human rights uh, abuses, certainly something that has infuriated Beijing, which is a very sensitive sub subject for Chinese officials. So it'll be very interesting to see what kind of official response uh, we see uh, from China. And certainly, as we have seen this continuous hostility towards Beijing over a number of things, most recently, uh, you know, the origins of the virus, but also uh, this Hong Kong national security law, uh, but also a long list of things, Taiwan, South China Sea, technology, uh, the list goes on. 
Back to you, Steve. Yeah, Sam, it's bewildering, the, the list of friction points as well between these two superpowers. Well, thank you very much indeed for laying that story on the line for us. Right, great. Uh, for a third day in a row, the United States has recorded more than 800 coronavirus-related deaths. Um, California, Texas and Florida, you're probably not surprised to know, those three are all seeing one-day increases. In fact, those three states combined make up nearly 50% of the nationwide increase in fatalities at the highest level seen since early June. Uh, Miguel Algamar uh, filed this story. Tonight, in a growing number of COVID hotspots around the country, fear is spreading as fast as the virus. The lines for testing from dawn to dusk. And I was online for five and a half hours. The rush to be tested and often the long wait for results comes amid another record-smashing day for new coronavirus cases. In 39 states, infections are on the rise. The crushing toll on our country, no different than the original peak of the pandemic in April, say experts. We need to do something about it quickly because if we don't, there's a possibility we may be seeing surgeons in another area. So we're in a very difficult, challenging period right now. In Houston, this is what the crisis looks like. Doctors losing a 66-year-old COVID patient just as the state hit a record number for single-day deaths. More who are sick are still flooding the ER. It's horrifying. And all you can think in your head is, am I going to end up on a ventilator? As Florida also records a record number of single-day deaths, in Louisiana, 95% of new cases are community spread. Nearly half are people younger than 39. And now a new study also shows evidence pregnant women infected with the virus can pass the disease to their babies. Pregnant women need to protect themselves from coronavirus just like they would from the flu or any other disease. Just as more people are worried about catching the virus, officials in cities like Los Angeles are asking fewer people to be tested, saying at facilities like these, they are overwhelmed and understaffed. With California, Arizona, Florida, and Texas accounting for half of all the new infections. My mom was my best friend. In Dallas, Sherry Tut lost her mother Doris and sister Keisha to COVID just hours apart at separate hospitals. I hope that my mom and sister's death doesn't go in vain. I hope that someone listening will acknowledge it and learn from it. Tonight, the lives behind the numbers as our national crisis deepens. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News, Los Angeles. New York City has cancelled all large events through the fall, saying events that require a permit will not be carried out until at least September 30th. The move is aimed at prioritising open spaces for public use and continuing social distancing. Starbucks has announced that all customers will be required to wear face masks at its stores, restaurants. The coffee chain says the order will take effect from July 15th and applies to its outlets across the United States. Now, speaking to our U.S. colleagues, the former U.S. Treasury Secretary Jack Lew cautioned against uh, making any more mistakes and took aim at the Trump administration's handling of the crisis. The first thing we have to do, though, is recover from this economic crisis we're in because of the health crisis. And as the health crisis gets worse because the policy to deal with it has been handled so badly, that's going to deepen the hole that we have to get out of. But let's remember, there were problems going into the COVID crisis. 
And when we get out of the COVID crisis, the solutions have to fix some of those problems, too. Well, the current U.S. Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, has told CNBC that the Senate and White House are working to pass a new COVID relief package by the end of the month, although it's unlikely to be quite as far reaching as earlier bills. As soon as the Senate gets back, uh, we're going to sit down on a bipartisan basis with the Republicans and the Democrats, and it will be our priority to make sure between the 20th and the end of the month that we pass the next legislation. U.S. weekly job claims or jobless claims came in better than expected last week in a sign that people are returning to work despite the rising number in coronavirus infections in southern and western states. Claims for the week ending July 4th came in at just over 1.3 million. That's down almost 100,000 from the week before. Continuing claims, these also dropped sharply to around 18 million. Still huge numbers, though. Uh, that's down by more than... Well, around 7.5% since the peak in early May. Uh, coming up on this show, Chinese banks are reportedly preparing for being cut off from US dollars if an American bill imposing sanctions over the Hong Kong national security law is passed. We'll discuss on Squawk. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back. Citigroup, JP Morgan and Wells Fargo are set to report their latest earnings on Tuesday, kicking off a week of results from major U.S. companies. Goldman Sachs will release their figures on Wednesday, followed by Johnson & Johnson and Netflix on Thursday. Wells Fargo is now requiring at least a million dollars in deposits or investments to refinance certain mortgage products. Uh, this, according to CNBC sources, new customers... Uh, previously had to bring $250,000 to the bank to access these services. The change comes as part of an overhaul of lending guidelines that began earlier this month. Meanwhile, Wells is reportedly planning to slash thousands of jobs this year, according to Bloomberg. This, as America's fourth largest lender, faces pressure to make sharp cost cuts to shore up its finances during the pandemic. The U.S. has sanctioned the highest-ranking Chinese official yet over allegations of human rights abuses against Uyghur Muslims. Washington blacklisted uh, Shenyang's region's Communist Party secretary and three other officials prohibiting their travel stateside and barring Americans from doing business with them. The measures come amid rising tensions between Washington and Beijing over China's handling of the coronavirus outbreak and the new security law in Hong Kong. Chinese state banks are reportedly drawing up contingency plans, as Sam was discussing earlier, in anticipation of U.S. legislation that would target banks for dealing with officials involved in the implementation of the Hong Kong national security laws. According to Reuters, lenders are bracing for potentially being cut off from U.S. dollars. The bill has already passed both the American House and Senate and now only needs the president's approval to be signed into law. The White House is reportedly planning to finalize plans that would bar federal purchases from companies that have dealings with five Chinese companies, including Huawei, Hicks Vision and uh, Dahua. Uh, that's according to Reuters. 
Uh, the measures would be an extension of a similar interim decision by the Trump administration in August last year. Elsewhere, Singapore is holding a general election as the Prime Minister Lee Hsien Lung hopes for a new mandate to guide the city-state through the economic fallout throughout the pandemic. Sri joins us with more. Sri, good morning to you, sir. Steve, very good morning to you. Uh, the voting is in full swing. It kicked off at 8am local time and will continue until 8pm in the evening. And as of midday here in Singapore, 31% of registered voters have cast their vote. That's according to the elections department. And make no mistake about it, this is very much a COVID era election and it's been managed very carefully as such. Very strict guidelines for voters and officials at the voting stations and the polling booths that they have to abide by. Voters are required to wear gloves and sanitize their hands. And I think what's important with this election compared to previous uh, elections is that it will be staggered. So between 8 a.m. and 12 p.m. midday, that's when the over 65s get to vote during that time window. And then uh, after that, uh, the rest of the Singapore voters will get to vote in uh, two hour windows. And then between seven and eight, those who are observing stay at home notices will vote, but they will be voting at uh, specially allotted uh, voting stations. So it's being very, very carefully managed here. Um, COVID-19 patients and those who are on quarantine orders will not be allowed to vote. So all of this is aimed at reducing the risk of uh, community transmission. Now, in terms of uh, the issues, it's really about managing the fallout from COVID-19. And let's face it, like so many countries around the world, Singapore is no exception. There really has been a very profound and destabilizing hit to the uh, economy here. In fact, Singapore is facing its worst recession in its history. And this election, therefore, is really gonna be defined on those very bread, and butter issues ranging from job security to uh, income inequality. All of these issues, of course, that have really been brought into very, very stark relief by COVID-19, Steve. What are the key issues here that the uh, the government could fall down on a little bit, Shri? Because, of course, people are expecting Mr Lee to be re-elected, but he's been in power, I understand, for around about 16 years as well. And any government, as we know, that's been in power, any leader for 16 years, let's face it, sometimes they need a bit of a revamp. So where is the revamp going to come, either from a societal point of view or an economic point of view from Sri Lanka? I beg your pardon, from Singapore even. Yes. And... Steve, just a caveat here, I do have to be quite careful in uh, my choice of words because anything that can be strewed as influencing the vote one way or another or predicting the winds of change here is really against the law. There are some very strict guidelines uh, for the media. But I will say this, uh, this is happening against the backdrop of the PAP, the ruling party, being in power and enjoying a grip on power since independence, since 1965. And uh, let me just give you an idea to try and answer that question in an indirect about indirect way, about the way the chessboard is laid out here. What does it look like? 192 candidates from 11 parties, one independent contesting 93 seats. The ruling PAP is contesting seats in all electoral divisions. The Workers' Party, which is the main opposition party, 
and the only party in the opposition to have parliamentary seats. They are gunning for 21 seats in four GRCs, a GRC being a group representation constituency and two single member constituencies. And then, of course, on the opposition side as well, we've got a relative newcomer, the Progress Singapore Party, which is founded by a former member of parliament, Tan Cheng Bok. They are fielding the largest number of opposition candidates, 24 candidates and four GRCs and five SMCs. So from that metric, we have seen an evolution in terms of the Singapore body politic in the last 20 years since I've lived in this country, at least. And there is quite an interesting debate unfolding about those very bread and butter issues. I hope I've answered your question in a roundabout form. And Steve, let me just go back to the forecasts and the surveys and the exit polls, which we're all very used to in a Brexit environment and in British elections and uh, elsewhere. You ain't going to see them here in Singapore because they are against the law, specifically Parliamentary Elections Act. And that covers the day that the writ of election is issued right down all the way to polling day itself. What we will get, though, is what's called sample counts. This is a rough indication of the results. Ballpark figures, very rough. They were last used in the last election in 2015. There was a pretty accurate margin of error, actually. But I must stress, this is not the official count. This is not the official number. Those official numbers will be released around midnight, small hours of uh, Saturday morning. Uh, but let me stress once again, no exit polls here, no surveys, no forecasts. What we will get are sample counts and then the final tally in dribs and drabs towards midnight in the small hours of the morning. Great. And it is a public holiday here, by the way, as well, which uh, has really pleased my seven-year-old because he doesn't have to go to school. And in fact, a lot of schools uh, are being used as uh, voting centres, and his one is no exception. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.